Amen. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all here this morning. I am excited to be here with you in this capacity. I enjoyed having a chance last week to, uh, to sit and to be led by the worship team, by Brian Lamb, and uh, now I'm back up here again, uh, carrying, continuing on the sermon series, A Church on Mission. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. If you want to grab a copy of God's Word, a Bible, a phone, a gadget, a device, or if you've got it memorized, that's fine too. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, also sermon notes in the seats in front of you if you want to follow along that way. Um, as you turn there, just want to make a quick um, announcement, if I could. Um, so we uh, at Solid Rock Behind the Scenes um, have a pastoral residency that goes on year-round. There's a couple guys involved in that right now, among whom uh, Nick Hill, who did our welcome this morning, is one of our uh, resident pastors. And, uh, and so I want to give you a couple updates. One, um, he is nearing the end of that residency, which means we'll be planning an ordination service soon for Nick, uh, pending one more interview with the elders and assuming that goes well. Um, he will actually be uh, ordained as a pastor here at the church, and that'll be happening here in the next couple months. Uh, so I want to give you a heads up on that. But also, um, uh, this time last year, uh, we actually had Brian Lamb, who now serves here as community pastor, missions pastor, and Cameron Glass were involved in that. Um, we hit the pause button on Cam Glass's uh, pastoral residency, and uh, he spent a year uh, working through some things and now is re-engaged in that process with us. And so I want to let you know about that as well. We're putting together a final step for him. And in a short period of time, we'll be ordaining Cam as well as a pastor and uh, potentially, quite likely, uh, sending him out to serve in another church. And so we're excited about that. If, if you know Cam personally, just the work that God's done in his life over the last year in preparing him for that. And so um, that's all happening. You may not even be aware of that. Behind the scenes, uh, we have this going on. Uh, these, uh, these folks who have been called and gifted by God and have been working behind the scenes so hard. So um, that, that's who Nick is, who did the welcome today. Um, I'm, uh, I'm excited that you're here with us this morning as we continue the series. We are going to be um, looking at 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, the, the sermon series is a church on mission. We hear that word mission. We tend to think primarily outside the walls of the church, right? Not necessarily what goes on inside. Uh, but we learn from the scriptures that as followers of Jesus, we're to be on mission first inside the church, right? And then from there, we serve outside the church. And so when we use the word inside, outside, we're not calling this building the church. We're talking about the community and that we have been gifted and called by Jesus to serve one another with supernatural spiritual giftings. And so we're going to be talking about spiritual giftings today. And what I want to do is we get ready to start in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to start in verse 1. I actually want to build a bridge, if I can, from last week's sermon where Brian Lamb preached on community from Ephesians 4 into this week's sermon so you can kind of see the continuity between what God's doing in his church. So last week in Ephesians 4, uh, Brian Lamb preached on community, that in Christ we've been given this unique uh, unity together uh, that is rooted in Christ, not whether or not we like one another, not whether or not we're getting along on any particular day, but that you and I have this, this God-given supernatural unity in Christ as his church, as his bride. And so we're going to see today how that plays out and spills over into our serving one another. And so at the end of his sermon, he finished in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. Let me read these verses real quick. Uh, so verse 15 says, this is Ephesians 4, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we, that's the church, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, the Christ, 
there's a statement about spiritual maturity, that, that we grow together as a church into maturity. Then verse 16 says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. So there's our unity. If we're in Christ, right, he's not just growing me and growing you. He's growing us together. And in him growing us together, he's unifying us into a community, bonding us together. And then verse 16 says this, that when that happens, when each part is working or serving properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we see this interdependency for our spiritual growth with our community and our serving, that when every part of the church is serving, that it causes the whole church to grow. So 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul is going to continue this theme on as he begins to talk specifically about spiritual gifts. Now, depending on what kind of church you grew up in or whether or not you grew up in church at all, this may be a familiar topic for you or it may be brand new for you. So we're going we're to take the this is brand new information approach, okay, to spiritual gifts. And so in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, we're going to start with a a conversation on spiritual giftings. I want to lay some groundwork for us, if I can. Um, first of all, understand, depending on what church background you, ha you have, you come to this topic potentially with a certain perspective or a certain belief in terms of spiritual gifts. And so there's a, a theological spectrum within Christianity on the topic of spiritual gifts. It's what we would call a tertiary issue, a not, not one we're going to divide over or fight about, but, but there's room to land. So on one end of the theological spectrum, you have Bible-believing, Jesus-loving uh, theologians and pastors and believers who call themselves cessationalists. Okay, that, that word is rooted in cease, the word cease. And they believe that when the apostles died, so did the supernatural giftings of the Holy Spirit. They ceased to exist at that point in time. Now, they would not deny that the Holy Spirit is still active in the lives of believers, leading and empowering the church for ministry, but the gifts, primarily tongues, and maybe some of the more um, supernatural, miraculous gifts don't exist anymore, and so that's cessationalism, okay? Then on the other far end of the spectrum, you get into the charismatic world. You may have grown up in a charismatic church, and you get into a, a belief that the gifts are still in play, that all the gifts mentioned in Scripture are still uh, empowering or, or alive and in play in the lives of believers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, including tongues and healing and prophecy, the more supernatural, miraculous giftings. Now, on the far end of this spectrum, you'll get into some, some shallow theological water um, where um, you get new revelations. So the Holy Spirit is revealing new things that's different or in contrast with what God revealed historically in the Bible. And on the far end of this spectrum, even, um, the gift of tongues is overemphasized to the point in some of these churches, you can't even be a member unless you've spoken in tongues. Okay, it's far end of the spectrum in the charismatic world. Why on the other far end of this spectrum, they won't let you be a member if you speak in tongues. And so tongues seems to be the most divisive of the gifts. Now, as a church, where do, where do we land? Now, I said it's a tertiary issue. You read our statement of faith. We believe the Holy Spirit empowers believers, and we kind of leave it there with the giftings. 
Now, but if you look at, at our leadership, and you, I would say this, we land in the charismatic world, okay? Not the far extreme uh, end of the spectrum where you have to speak in tongues to be a member or, you know, God doesn't move unless there's some kind of freak show going on kind of thing that kind of gets us all uncomfortable, and, right? And so some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Uh, my, my father's family uh, were Church of God, and so for them, God isn't moving unless people are weirded out, okay? Now, Sometimes when God moves, it makes us uncomfortable. I'm good with that. But sometimes when God moves, it brings about silence and reverence. And so it doesn't always have to be, right, uh, the earth is quaking and, and all this chaos is going on for God to move. And so as a church, we land in, in the charismatic theology, believing that all gifts are still in play. Now, as soon as Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 12 about the spiritual giftings, he slips right into qualifications and parameters and boundaries for spiritual gifts. The very next chapter, chapter 13, says this. It doesn't matter what the gift is. If it's not rooted in love, it's like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong in the ears of the other believers around that person. So you're utilizing your spiritual gift, whether it's prophecy or teaching or serving or administration. If you're not doing that rooted in love, right, it's going to be annoying to the people around you. And then you get into chapter 14, and he talks specifically about tongues and prophecy and says, here's the thing. And he doesn't, he doesn't disqualify tongues as, a, as an actual gift, but he says, in the public setting, Paul says, here's what I would do. I would do what's most edifying. And what's most edifying is that everybody understands what's going on. New believers and non-believers get a little uncomfortable when people start speaking in tongues publicly. So Paul says this, in public I would lean towards prophecy. Do what's edifying to the whole, right? Not what's just edifying to you, which will lead us then into tongues being a private prayer language, something that we gauge in personally or more privately. Now, so we have those boundaries and parameters that kind of guide our conversation as we look at spiritual gifts today. Now, let me just say this. You can, you can land, and we do, we land at different places on that spectrum, and we can still have a, a unity of faith here at Solid Rock. Now, let's start in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3. So Paul opens with this. He says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So potentially, 1 Corinthians is a letter of response. He's answering questions that these believers in Corinth had. And we know what he's about to talk about, right? He says very clearly, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed about spiritual gifts, so let me talk to, talk to you about and let me teach you about spiritual gifts. Now look at the very first place he begins, because this is interesting. He doesn't begin with a conversation about spiritual gifts. He begins somewhere else. Verse 2. Now, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So it's a reminder. Before you became a Christian... Right? Your life looked a little different. Why? Because you were chasing after false gods, looking for purpose and identity and security and love and peace and comfort and, and, and a way to get away from your shame. You were looking for these things in things that weren't really God, whether it was a career or a person or a, a dream or some sense of false identity. You're looking for, right? And that's what it looked like before Christ. And then look what he says. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is cursed. Okay, I can, I'm, I can jive with that. That makes sense, right? 
Like if somebody, no, nobody says, I don't believe in Jesus, and they, right, led by the Holy Spirit to say that. But then he's saying that to set us up then to understand, okay, if that's true then, then the converse is true. He goes on to say this, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So among the teachings on the Holy Spirit, there would some, be some who would say, you can become a Christian without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Based on Paul's teaching here, based on Ephesians 1 and other places, we don't believe that as a church. At the moment you, you proclaim Jesus is Lord, Ephesians 1 says you are sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And here, before Paul even starts talking about spiritual giftings, he wants you to know that this begins at the moment of your salvation when you say, Jesus is Lord. You can't even say that without the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And so his teaching on the Holy Spirit is deeply rooted in what? Our salvation and our identity as Christ's followers. Being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit is not for a select few, for the super spiritual right folks. Every person who is a Christian, who has made the declaration, Jesus is my Lord, is now filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit is more vivid and clear to see at some times over others. Many of you have experienced this before. You were in a conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden, you didn't really know what to say, but God kind of took over. And you felt so unequipped to have that conversation, but afterwards you walked away kind of on cloud nine, like, that was awesome. God was speaking through me. Like, I just know it, right? What you experience is as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit of God working through you. And in that moment, you're keenly aware of it. But did you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking and nudging even at times when you're not keenly aware? See, before you became a Christian, there were a lot of voices speaking inside your head. The voices of maybe your parents, friends, teachers, society, culture, marketing, media. All these different voices trying to tell you what was right, what was wrong, guide you. This is a good decision. This will work out for you, right? And, and none more loud than your own voice, right? As you guided yourself. Now, in Christ, the Holy Spirit is speaking, but oftentimes we're not listening. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and we say amen, and we're done. We walk away. Wow, God didn't speak to me. How do you know? You didn't even stop to listen, right? You didn't stop talking long enough to, to actually listen. God was speaking, and what happens in Christ is we, we grow more acutely aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit. The more you read scripture, the more you know what the Holy Spirit sounds like and the kinds of things that he says. The more you spend time reading his word, the more, right, the more accurately you're able to recognize that was God speaking. That wasn't a voice inside my head. That wasn't my mama's voice, right? That was, that was the voice of God, and I know it because it's consistent with what God says. Sounds like the voice of God. And Paul says this, it all begins at salvation. Everyone who knows and loves Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you're in Christ. You don't have to join the Pentecostal church to get the Holy Spirit. You cannot say Jesus is Lord without having the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he begins in, in verse 4, he's going to lay a foundation for spiritual giftings that's going to look remarkably similar to the foundation we saw in Ephesians 4 last week for our community we have together. 
So last week in Ephesians 4, especially verses 4 and 5, Brian Lamb was preaching about our oneness in Christ and how that's founded on the identity of God. And because God is a triune God, I'll explain more in just a minute, therefore we reflect his image when we interact with one another in community. So in the same way we see community between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, when you and I are Christians, and that's the root reason for why we're interacting, we're reflecting his image right here on earth. Right here on earth, isn't that cool? And so in Ephesians 4, it says what? There's one Spirit, one Lord, and one God and Father of all. Now the word Trinity doesn't show up in your Bible, okay? It's a word we use to describe what does show up in your Bible. So when Jesus tells his disciples, go make disciples of the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about three gods, right? We know that. He's talking about one and the same God that's, that reveals himself in three persons. Last week we saw it in Ephesians 4. Our community is rooted in not just the Spirit, but the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Now look at where he goes with spiritual gifts. Verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. So this, in the same manner that when you and I interact in community, right, relationship, and the primary reason for us interacting is Jesus, right, that reflects the image of God, so too, when you and I serve together, roll up our sleeves and volunteer and work together, we're reflecting the Godhead. If you're aware of this or not, but, but Jesus, right at his baptism, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit led him immediately into the desert where he fasted for 40 days, was tempted by Satan, and, and led him throughout his ministry got the Holy Spirit serving the Son. The Son is serving the Father. The Father is serving the Spirit, and they're working together, right? And it's, almost, it's hard to see, though. It's hard to see who's doing what in the same way it should be hard to see where you're doing what because we're serving with such a harmony and a unity. We're reflecting the Godhead. That's pretty cool. So I'm right now up here on the stage empowered by a teaching gift, We've got guys who have serving gifts up there in this little cavern up there we call the sound tech booth, serving with their gifts, right? Um, we've got people who came in the office this week who printed out sermon notes and cut them, and then we had a team come in this morning and place those around. So what we're doing right now was a cooperation, an orchestration of a lot of gifts coming together just right now. We're experiencing it. And it's a reflection of how the Godhead works. Now, there's a lot that I don't understand about the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But I cannot deny it's how God chooses to reveal himself over and over and over again. Now, I can say this, though. There is there's a little bit of a, of a danger by by overemphasizing one part of the Godhead over the others. And I'll give you some examples of how that plays out at least from my perspective, into different denominations, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see who may have come from like a Presbyterian, Episcopalian background. This is what you grew up in, okay? All right. How about some Charismatics or Pentecostals? We got any in the room? Oh, yeah. We, we, you don't have to raise your hand because we saw you raise your hand singing earlier. So we already know who you are. 
How about some good Southern Baptists in the room? Get some good, good old-fashioned Southern Baptists. Yeah, evangelism and missions. And so here's what happens, at least from my perspective. If a church begins to emphasize part of the Godhead over or to the detriment of the other two, denominational identity can begin to form, right? So if God the Father is the primary emphasis in a church, what tends to happen is a gravitation towards a lot of theology. Now, theology is good, right? Thick conversations, understanding the depths of who God is, but there's a lot of talk about and teaching on, right, theology, what happens if the Son becomes overemphasized to the detriment of the Father and the Spirit? Evangelism seems to be, right, the main thing. It's all the church talks about. Now, evangelism is actually a really good thing, right? Sharing the hope we have in Christ with others. Come on, that's good, right? Absolutely. But what happens is you begin to form this identity around evangelism to the detriment of maybe deep theology and understanding that God's also a father, a father of justice and discipline, a father of love and who imparts identity, but then what happens if the Holy Spirit gets emphasized to the detriment of the other two? Well, theology begins to get shallow. Evangelism becomes a side project or an afterthought, but boy, you better believe God's moving, right? Our services are full of excitement and energy and, and God's moving, and, and you can see how you can begin to develop a, a, an identity around one part of the Godhead. Uh, at Solid Rock, I just want you to know our goal, whether we achieve it or not, is up for the debate. Our goal is to emphasize the triune God every Sunday. You would hear us pray and speak to the Father. You would hear us pray, as Ken did earlier, to the Holy Spirit. You would hear us emphasize the work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Why? Because we, we, we can't deny the scriptures represent, present to us a triune God, a God revealed in three persons. What Paul is saying about our spiritual gifting and our serving is that it has to reflect that. If you're serving in the church and my serving in the church look like two different projects, we're not reflecting the image of God. We're reflecting our own image. We're reflecting oftentimes our own ambitions and our own passions, but not the Godhead. The Godhead where it's hard to tell, is Jesus working here or is the Spirit working here? Or is this the Father? I can't tell. Why? Because they're all working together. Now, if you're taking notes, the primary purpose of serving in the church is to reflect the image of the triune God, okay? The image of the triune God. So needs, because there's a need, is not the primary purpose why I'm serving. We'll talk about needs later. My passions, what I'm excited about, what I'm interested in, that's not the primary reason why I serve. Even because I know it's true, I have spiritual giftings, that's not the primary reason why I serve. The primary reason why I serve in the church is to be a part of what? Reflecting God's image as a community. The purpose of serving is to reflect the image of the triune God. Now, verse 7, we're going to get more uh, into this topic of spiritual giftings. Verse 7. To each is given the manifestation or the revealing of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. We would call this a spiritual gift of wisdom. And to another, the utterance of knowledge. We would call this a spiritual gift of knowledge. And according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. 
to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. We might call this the spirit of discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, what I want to do is I want to highlight the main thing, and then we're going to talk about the secondary things. So if you look back at verse 7, I believe there's two primary things Paul is saying here, and then everything else serves as an example. The first thing he is saying is this, to each, each what? Each who? Each person who says Jesus is Lord, if we put it in context, right? So to each Christian, each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God is in you in in such a way that he's giving you gifts. The second thing I think he wants us to get is at the end of that verse when he says, for the common good. So my spiritual giftings are not to serve my own ambitions, my own good, or to make me look good. I've been given supernatural ability for ministry, and I throw my gifts in with you and your gifts, right, for the good of the church, for the common good. After this, we get a list of spiritual gifts. Now, this is not an all-inclusive, exhaustive list of gifts. We know this because it's not the only list that we get from the Scriptures. And the list that we get don't all perfectly match. Go to Romans 12 and read, and you'll get a list, and some will be on this list, and some will be different. Just look further down in this chapter. When Paul restates some of the gifts and roles, he's going to add a few. Okay, so we, we know that it's not an exhaustive list, but here's what we do know. These are spiritual gifts. And so when you go and you look at spiritual gift inventories, you tend to uh, find that they'll range from like maybe 14 to 21 or 22 spiritual giftings, depending on whether or not they draw from the Old Testament or not, um, on an inventory. And I'll talk more about that in just a minute, about what inventories are. And so here's what we wouldn't say. We wouldn't say, I think our spiritual gift inventory online, I, I haven't even looked recently. I think it's got somewhere around 20 or so spiritual gifts. We would say, we're not saying these are the only spiritual gifts. What we are saying is that these, in fact, are spiritual gifts. So don't make a list and go, I've got to pick from these. We just... Paul's just saying these are examples, okay? But what I do want to have a conversation about is the difference between spiritual gifts and talents and spiritual gifts and passions, okay? So let's talk about talents for a minute. Talents are your God-given, from birth, natural abilities. Some of you may have a talent for um, crunching math problems, Math was easy for you in school. To this day, somebody spouts out a math problem, you work it in your head, and you can just give an answer faster than a calculator. You just, you get it, okay? Not everybody can do that. You just need to understand that. That's a little, right? But that's a, you had that talent before you became a Christian, right? Some of you are better with words, right? You're better articulating yourself, maybe in written form. So you write blogs. People like to read what you have to say, or at least you think they like to read what you have to say. But you're good with, with words. Not everybody is good with words, right? Some of us, right, we struggle with that as a talent. Some of you may have um, athleticism, just born with it. Nobody had to tell you to keep your eye on the ball. Like, you just knew that. Like, duh, why would you not keep your eye on the ball? And you keep your eye on the ball. And you, you see somebody else do something, and you mimic it perfectly the first time. And you just, sports came natural and easy to you. And that's talent. You were that way before you became a Christian. When we talk about spiritual gifts, what we're talking about is the supernatural ability to do ministry. It's something you didn't have before you became a Christian. 
Now, what we need to understand about spiritual gifts, according to the word of God, is this. They're not always obvious at the very beginning. Okay? They're not. Uh, when, when I first became a Christian, um, the, the, the ability to teach and the ability to lead were not obvious in my life at all. As a matter of fact, in my natural abilities, I have a phobia of speaking in public. It's why I like small services. Freaks me out to get up here in my, in my flesh. I tr- pray over here in my little hole. I get over here and I pray before I come to preach. Oh, God, do that thing that you do where you do better than I can because I'm scared to death to get up and talk. See, my natural ability isn't to stand up in front of you and teach. That's a God-given supernatural, and it wasn't there at the, verse, at the very beginning. You should have heard me try to speak at the very beginning. My first sermon I preached was on a Sunday evening because of the church I grew up in, that's where you gave, that's the slot, preaching slot for new guys, right? Because it's just gonna be church family. You can mess it up. Nobody's gonna get mad and leave the church. I preached on a Sunday night, kid you not. It snowed that night. Now, North Texas, kind of rare. It was a Sunday night though, and it snowed and like seven people showed up. I was a nervous wreck. I mean, it was like three deacons, their wives, and my mom. Right, my natural ability wasn't there. But the apostle Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he tells him not to neglect the spiritual gifting that he received when the elders laid their hands on him. And he's instructed to what? To fan that into flame. Meaning that those spiritual gifts that you have oftentimes will begin as a small ember. It's hard to see. You get close enough to it, maybe you can tell it's, it's an ember. Maybe you can, is it on fire? I can't tell. But what happens over time is God grows you in community. That spiritual gift is fanned into flame, right? As people speak into your life, they encourage you, and you begin to see, wow, the Holy Spirit did that in me. And, and so that's your supernatural ability. Now, this is even separate, though, from your passions. For some of you, Sports may be your passion. For others of you, crocheting may be your passion. For others of you, cooking may be your passion. Your passions can be similar to, but they're different. They're the things that interest you, that keep you up at night, that get you excited. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, though, we're talking about that which God does in you that otherwise wouldn't happen. Beyond your interests, beyond your natural talent, supernaturally, the Holy Spirit of God gifting you for ministry. And so Paul lists some examples here. And the, the main thing he's saying is what? Every believer has a spiritual gift. may not be on this lift, but, but you have one. And you've been given that gift not to serve yourself or your own ambitions or even your own passions, but you've been given that gift to serve the common good of the whole church. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift to serve for the good of the church. All right, verse 11. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, that makes sense, right? We're one church, one body, but there's a lot of members here in the same way. Just as there is one body, just the body is one and many members, all are members of one body, though many are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one 
body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all made to drink from one spirit. Now, Paul's going to use the human body now as an illustration or a metaphor for this theology he's teaching us. And he wants us to understand going into this that as we serve with our spiritual giftings, what, what you see in the church should look like one body, one ambition, one mission, one purpose, working together in unison. Like, that's how I hope my body works. As I approach 40, sometimes it's questionable, right? One foot wants to go one way, and the other foot doesn't want to go anywhere sometimes, right? Sometimes my, uh, my ears don't hear everything that's spoken to me by my little ones at home. I'm just, I'm just learning to tune it out, or I'm going deaf. I don't know, right? But, but ultimately, we hope our bodies all work in unison together, right? And so he continues on, says this, for the body does not consist of one member, but many. Now, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, doesn't it? Well, I'm not. This is, Paul is overemphasizing this point. There's going to be a lot of diversity in the church, but even still, it should look very unified. And so he says it again. It doesn't consist of one member, but many. And then he says this in verse 15. If the foot should say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's not going to make it any less a part of the body, right? My foot can say what it wants to say, as long as it steps when it's supposed to step, right? It, it doesn't cease to be a part of the body just because it doesn't want to be a foot anymore. God designed my foot, put my foot where it's at on the end of my leg to specifically carry out the function of a foot. My foot gets jealous of the hand, says, man, I'd much rather be a hand. You don't have to carry all this weight around, right? You don't have to stink so bad. It's so easy to just walk to the sink and wash yourself. Like, man, it stinks to be a foot. Pun intended. <laughs> right? It, my foot has a God-given function, and that needs to be at the end of my leg, so when I take a step, I don't fall on my face. He goes on to say, in verse 16, and then if an ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not going to make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now, let's stop right here. What is he saying with um, these rhetorical questions? Here's the point. We all have different roles to serve, and every role is equally critical and important. No one person serving the church can say, my role's not all that important because I'm just a foot. Right? I don't get up on stage and preach, so my, my role, you know, it's not all that important. I mean, I don't do all that kind of stuff. I just, you know, I help a little bit here and there around the background. It's, it's all equally important and needed, right? I mean, it's the same way my, my ears couldn't say, you know what? It's been a slow week. I think the eyes can handle it from here. I'm going to check out, and I'll, I'll start listening again next week. Right? As soon as that happens, there's gonna, right, something's going to break down. And so Paul is overemphasizing this, saying, listen, 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 everybody does have a unique role, but each part is equally valid and important. Just like in your human body, you need veins and blood cells and muscles and ligaments and bones, and right, you need a brain and a heart and a liver and kidneys and a pancreas, whatever that's for, and a, right, you need all these things to function the way God designed you to function. In the body, it's the same way. Look at what he says. He says uh, in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet 
one body. So he uses a human body as an illustration of how we're supposed to work together and serve together. Um, You could use a clock. You know, you see a clock, it's got hands, especially like an old school clock or a grandfather clock. If you look behind the scenes, there's a lot happening there that I don't get. But I can look at the front of it and the pendulum's swinging and it's keeping time. But behind the scenes, there's all these gears and gadgets, different sizes doing all these different things. That's the way the church should look if you were to open the back door and look behind the scenes. Um, I like to, I have a musical background, so I I think of this in terms of music. Um, I don't know how familiar any of you are with music, but if you listen to at least like a classical piece, um, the music that's being played is, is representative of a whole lot of different parts layered one on top of the other. And it's all written out on what's called a score. And each instrument has its own line. And so even multiple lines for multiple, so you might have, 12 flautists, those are flute players. And you might have three of those playing one line and four of them playing another line and then five playing another line. Then you got a bassoon, then you got percussion. You might have five or six different percussionists going on. Now here's what's happening. When you listen to that, you hear a song for the most part, unless you have a trained ear. You're hearing a song, right? And you're just kind of jiving with it. What you don't realize is all the intricate work going on behind the scenes. And so when somebody writes a score, every part has to be written with, with, with an understanding of what everything else is doing. So you might have a, a, a kick drum in the score, in the piece. Boom. 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 Tambourine. Boom. Boom. And you listen to it by yourself, you go, that's kind of boring. This is not like a song. I could play that song. But when you bring that part into the score, working with the strings and the wind instruments, and there's a conductor bringing it all together, you're like, wow. Right? Some musicians on, you know, in the orchestra might only have one beat to play in the whole song. Maybe it's just a crashing of a cymbal. But that one part is so critical to the overall movement of the song. If you pull any of those instruments apart by themselves, though, what? This doesn't sound like a song. Sounds like you're warming up. So in the same way, our serving together is supposed to have this unique harmony to it. I don't have to tell my lungs to breathe and my heart to beat and my eyes to blink and my liver to whatever livers do to liver. Is that a verb? There's this unique harmony when things are working right. There's a unique harmony in my system all working together. My feet start working and moving. My muscles are working. My bones are My heart starts beating faster. Pumping more blood. My lungs start compensating for lack of oxygen. My brain starts telling me, slow down, take a break. Right? All working together. There should be a unique harmony to our serving this way. So here's some practical ways that you could think through this. So um, say we're putting on a big event. Um, fall festival, big spring event. We've got a night of music coming up soon. There'll be food involved and So you got a guy like maybe, say, Brian Lamb, organizing it, utilizing his gift of leadership to put together an event. Some of you worked with Brian Lamb, and so you know what he needs. He needs an administrator. (laughs) He needs somebody. He's got a great leadership gift, but he needs somebody with an administration gift to come alongside him and say, you know what, Brian, I'm good with spreadsheets. Let me keep up with the receipts, or let let me keep up with all these kinds of things. And so you come alongside him with an administration gift, right, and serve him. Thank you for that. And it's going to involve food and all those kinds of things. And so some of you have a gift of hospitality. 
And so you come alongside Brian and say, hey, can I help plan the food? And, can I? and so you think about things like napkins and ketchup and ice for the drinks. And like Brian and I, if we were planning, we would, we would bring the meat, the bread, and bottles of water. They wouldn't be cold. But you help us think about being hospitable. And so you come alongside him and you help him put this thing together in a way where it looks like it's one person doing it. Right? That's the unique harmony of giftings coming together, serving for one common purpose. A healthy church consists of believers with diverse roles serving in unique harmony and loving unity, reflecting a singular mission. My feet cannot be on two different missions. Right? I'm going nowhere. My eyes and my hands need to be on the same mission or I'll get nothing typed or written. My ears and my brain need to be on the same mission or otherwise when you speak, I don't hear anything. I'm not, right, processing anything. Right, so there's a singular mission that the body is on in unique harmony and loving unity. We reflect a singular mission. All right, verse 21. Now what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna talk about how we tend to overemphasize or overglorify the special roles and then we underemphasize or degrade maybe some of the roles that people serve in that aren't as glamorous or as public. And so he says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we actually bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So he's saying, listen, here's the thing. You might say that, you know, or you might believe that, well, Jason's up front teaching, so his role is super important this morning. Those guys in the sound booth, they're just goofing off, eating donuts and drinking coffee. Not at all. Because their role seems less important. What Paul is saying, God's going to bring more honor to that. Why? Because we have an equal serving role. I'm not in this position because I'm some special thing or God saw this great potential in me. He just chose it. Matter of fact, I think that I would say, I believe, God oftentimes chooses the things that seem most unlikely so that he gets the glory in the end. Hence, a speaking in front of people phobia, and yet I'm stinking pastor of this church, and I do it every, almost every week, three times now. Right? So it's obvious, right? There's not just natural talent going on here. It's a gifting of God. God prescribes the honor equal across the board. You might have a gift of serving. You know people like that? They're so good at serving and it doesn't matter where. They just seem to just really serve well in any capacity. That's a spiritual gift of serving. And in the end, they don't want an accolade. They don't want a pat on the back. They don't want, right? And God's saying, yeah, that's, those are the people who are, right? Seem like they want to, but here's the thing. God's saying they're all important roles. Equally honorable. And then I love where he ends this teaching. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So here's where he ends. 
our serving together is not as much about completing a task as, it must, as much as it is about being in relationship together. If you're just showing up and volunteering for some role in the church and not building relationships, there's a good chance you're not gonna thrive or last very long in that role. You know it. Why? Because our serving is about our relationships with one another. In our serving, when something happens and impacts the life of somebody we're serving with, we should feel it, according to Paul. When you suffer, boom, I should feel the impact of that in my own heart and life. And when you're excited, you're rejoicing, you're praising God for some amazing work he's done in your life, you and I should be close enough in relationship with our serving that I feel the impact of that. So our serving together is rooted in our relationship with one another, not just showing up and doing our job and going home. And then just in case we're not sure yet, who's he talking to? Is this chapter written for the super spiritual, the, you know, the charismatics, the all that? Who is he talking to? I love where he ends. He says, now, I'll tell you who I'm talking to. You. You are the body of Christ. And individually, members of it. I'm talking to you. If you're here today and you're in Christ, you've said, Jesus is my Lord. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve in ministry supernaturally beyond your natural ability. It may be an ember right now, and it's hard to see. Or you may, have, you may have been working on this for a long time and you know what spiritual gifts you've been given. Here's what I want to do. I want to end with uh, three questions to help us discern where we need to be serving. Three questions to ask yourself in order to determine where God is calling you to serve. The first question is this. What spiritual gifts have I been given? How do we, how do we figure that out? So I'll give you three different ways that um, I believe things that God has given to you to help you. The first thing we would do is the spiritual gift inventory, okay? Um, we've got one online under resources. Um, you can go to a lot of places on the internet to get a spiritual gift inventory. Now, this is what we call the conversation starter, but it's not the end all. Here's why. It's a self-assessment for the most part, right? And we don't always see fully those embers of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. We need somebody who knows us well to help us see oftentimes what the giftings are. I was 18 years old, uh, 17, 18 years old, uh, two different spiritual leaders in my life said to me, I see God's calling on your life. I believe he's calling you to be a pastor. Preaching and teaching was not a passion of mine. Phobia was something I knew very well, right? Um, I had interests in things, but those were not on my radar. But spiritual leaders who knew me well saw in me the Holy Spirit. And it was like an ember. It was hard to see, but they saw those giftings in me. So in addition to a spiritual gift assessment, I think spiritual leaders need to be a part of that equation. Who are your spiritual mentors? Who are the people who are mature in Christ who know you well or are getting to know you well? Because quite often, they'll see something in you that you don't even see yourself. And just like with Timothy and, and the elders, they'll help fan that into flame. There's a third element that I think is incredibly important. And we're actually going to do this next weekend. Community group weekend is next weekend. Um, the community you live in. What are your brothers and sisters in Christ affirming in you? What are they saying? Hey, I saw God use you in this way. Or you may not even know it, but here's how I saw God use you. And so community, what, is, what are your brothers and sisters in Christ affirming in your life? What are spiritual leaders seeing that maybe isn't obvious to everybody else? And then, of course, spiritual gift inventory can help create the conversation so that you can begin to discern how God has gifted you supernaturally 
for the good of the body, for the glory of God. Here's another question. What am I passionate about? Now, we don't ask this question by itself because your passion may be music and you may, not, you may be tone deaf. It happens. It happens. I was a worship leader for a number of years before I got involved in, in teaching ministry and, uh, and hit a place where God very clearly tapped in my heart and said, Jason, this is the end of your natural talent ability. And I want to take that leadership gift that you've been using in music and I want to use it now in a teaching ministry and take you somewhere else. And so God called me to lay down my guitar in terms of what I did for ministry and begin working on fanning into flame the teaching gift. Along the way, I met a lot of talented people who are musically talented who were not called to do worship ministry, at least not yet. Well, maybe they weren't even a believer yet. Or if they were, they really had some growing to do before they got up on the stage and started leading people. Or maybe that wasn't their spiritual gift at all. We've got musically talented people in our church who are serving with their God-given gifts and they're not even on the stage. Why? Because music can be a talent, but not necessarily what God's calling you to do. So passions alone can't drop, but we need to think about it. What are you interested in? What keeps you up at night? What really irks you when you watch something happen uh, that doesn't go well? Like, what is it? Like, does it irk you when something's disorganized? Maybe, maybe there's this gift of administration in you going, mm, ouch, that could have been so much better. Maybe leadership. Maybe it irks you to see poor leadership. Somebody put into a position that doesn't have any leadership abilities and you see it, you recognize it and go, ouch, that's not going to go well for him or her. What, what stirs you? What keeps you up at night? Where, where are your pet peeves? What irks you? This is where, what, this is where our passions lie. And then the third question, and a very important one, is where is the greatest need in my church? Where is the greatest need in my church? If we just do what we're passionate about, do you know how many musicians we'd have up on the stage? Right. If we just did what we're passionate about, right, what would happen is those places that are most exciting would be full of volunteers, and then the less exciting places would not get filled up. If we just operated based on spiritual giftings, right? We might look and go, you know what? I have a spiritual gift of administration, but it looks like the bases are covered, so I'll just sit on the sidelines. So we have to ask the question, where are the greatest needs? Let me just give you some solid rock history. Um, we're still a fairly small church, but we were once a wee little church. Um, if you look on the board out there in the hallway, you can kind of see um, our growth trajectory since like 96, 2008, um, in the summer, we, we hit an attendance low and a membership low. And um, best my memory serves me, we had about 60 adults showing up for worship um, on a Sunday morning. And we're thankful to have those 60 adults. Some of you were part of the 60, right? But back then, because we were so small, everybody had to do everything, including the elders, like covering bases all over the place. Not necessarily what am I passionate about, but where am I needed? There's not an elder. We have six elders at our church. There's not an elder at our church who has not served at one point in time in the nursery. Come on, really? Yeah. Not their primary passion, I promise you. Four of the six of us worked really hard to raise the children and get them out of the house to move on to other things. But God said, there's a need, I need you to serve. And so they did. Uh, this morning, Brian Lamb's playing bass. You may have noticed that. He's our community and missions pastor, yet... There was a void this week, right? And he stepped up. Jason Martin said, hey, could you help me out? He stepped in. Sure, I'll help you. I'll serve there. Not his primary calling. 
part of his talent and part of his passion, but not his primary gifting and calling. Yet he stepped in and served. And guess what? If you come back to the next service, there's a baptism. Brian Lamb's doing the baptism. So he's going to slip out from behind the base, come down here and baptize one of our high school students. And Jason Lewis, who's playing guitar right here, and I know him really well, and I can promise you, isn't passionate about playing bass. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to slip off his guitar and slide back here in the third service and play the bass for the last song or two. Why? Because it's needed. Not necessarily because it's his passion that keeps him up at night, but he can do it. He's not going to mess it up and distract us. And there's a need there. And so he's willing to serve. We'll give you one more example. If you've had kids in our kids' ministry, you know one of our most uh, famous and celebrated volunteers, Miss Judy. And I ask for permission to share this with you. You may not know this, how she got into her role. Now, I say she's the best kept secret in kids' ministry on this side of the Metroplex. Like, if you've had kids get involved in Miss Judy's class, she's like the kid whisperer. And what she does or how she does it or what she whispers in the kids' ears, but she can lead a four-year-old. She can. We need her just Judy to come live with us right now to help us lead our four-year-old. She's so good at what she does. Nobody would question, right, her spiritual gifting, her passions, and what God's calling her to do. We need Miss Judy serving in toddlers. Now, she came up and shared with me after our first service today. She was in first service. She said, Jason, you may not know this or not. 15 years ago or so, when I first got involved in serving over there, I was only willing to be a helper. Cut out crafts. I'll put things together. I'll be your assistant. But, oh, my gosh, don't ask me to teach. And then what happened is somebody stepped down from the teaching role, and the elders came to Miss Judy and said, Judy, you've been helping in this class. Would you help us out? We have a need. Would you step up and teach until we find somebody else? She told me this morning, that was 15 years ago, and the elders have not come back to her with her replacement yet. <laughs> yeah. And you know why? Because the elders saw a gift in her that she didn't see herself. She reluctantly said, okay, I'll fill in, but just for a moment. And, and, and this morning came to me and said, you know what? It finally makes sense to me now. I didn't have all this passion. I was ambitious for this. God said, I've gifted you to serve, and now it makes sense looking back. And so we don't just ask, where are my giftings? We don't just ask, where are my passions? We ask, where's the need? Where do you need me to serve? How can I use the gifts God's given me, maybe outside of my passions, for the greater good of the body? So here's what I hope for us today. This is my hope. I don't want to drive this conversation with where our needs are. You probably know where the needs are. If not, talk to us after the service. We'll let you know where the needs are. Here's what I want to drive this conversation for us. You and I understanding God has created us in Christ in the image of God to bear his image. And in doing so, he's called us into community, uh, this amazing unified community that when we serve together, it's like a human body working. It's a, it's a, it's a miraculous thing. It goes beyond what makes sense. You can't tell where I serve, my serving begins, and your serving ends. It's all working in this unique harmony, loving unity for one mission. That's my hope for our church. Now, I want to pray for us now and ask our worship team to come back up. And if this is, you know, landing on you today, fill out a Connect card. You see something on there that makes sense, check it. If you don't know, let us know. I don't know where I need to be serving, but I want to serve. On your way out on the right, there's an there's a acrylic uh, brochure holder. has all of our team ministries in it. Empty that thing today. Take those home and read them and pray through it. 
Start a conversation with your community group leader or one of the staff members or elders. Okay, that's how we, that's how we respond and we engage in what God is doing. So I'm gonna pray for us now. Um, as we do so, our prayer partners will be back at the back with our elders. We'll be honored to pray with you today. Some of you may wanna stay seated, just continue wrestling with what God's spoken with you, to you today. You know, others of you may wanna get up and come to the front, just kneel and pray or sing or worship or just be silent, be still. I want you to feel free to do that. And others of us will stand, we'll sing, and we'll proclaim together this great hope we have in Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for first loving us. And God, we thank you that in loving us, you have not left us as we were. You've called us out of darkness into marvelous light. You've called us out of hopelessness into a life of eternal hope. And you've called us from finding our identity in fleeting things to having an identity secured in your kingdom. And as you call us into your kingdom, you invite us into this amazing unified community we call the church. And you've given us all these, these supernatural abilities to serve and do ministry together. Oh, Father, through the power of your spirit now, would you speak to us? Would you make clear to us each one of us individually. God, the, the role that you've called us and equipped us to serve in. And God, all of this for the good of the church and for the glory of your name.